Bibles with you this morning. We will be in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 19 through about verse 25, if you would like to be turning there. Hebrews chapter 10. The epistle to the Hebrews was written to Christians who are coming from a Jewish background. The the book of Hebrews, as uh, you know, is full of Old Testament argumentation. In fact, it is impossible to study the book of Hebrews without having a knowledge of the Old Testament, without studying the Old Testament, with uh, the, uh, all of the uh, illustrations, all of the argumentation, all of the points that the writer is going to make as he's making his case for Christ. All of that is taken from uh, the Old Testament. There is the assumption on the part of the writer that those who are receiving this letter, they, they already understand that the Old Testament is the Word of God. It is authoritative and they are regarding his argumentation that way as he is referring them over and over again to the Old Testament Scriptures. The reality was that these Christians were going through a difficult time. They're from their Hebrew background, and now it seems they have, they have understood that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the promised Messiah. They have given themselves to Him and to the kingdom life, and yet their lives have become very difficult. Many of them are struggling with family realities as they came from Hebrew families, many of whom in their families are not Christians, many of whom uh, in their families regard them as having abandoned the faith, having abandoned God. And it's not just from their own families that they are suffering. They're suffering socially because... In the Roman world in which they were living, wherever they might be in the Mediterranean basin, in that world, because they were confessing Christ as Lord, they were coming under heavy scrutiny and heavy persecution from uh, the Gentile world around them. The pagan world was afraid of them. They were afraid of their beliefs in Christ as God, and they were afraid that they were going to cause the other gods to become angry, and everyone would suffer as a result. And so the reality is that many of the Christians, as they are hurting, as they are suffering, as they are physically being persecuted, as they are financially losing everything they have, many of them are becoming discouraged. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to them and he's saying to them, no matter what, no matter what happens in this life, don't lose your faith and don't lose hope. Persecution was real. In the same chapter, a 10th chapter of Hebrews, in verse 32, the The writer says, call to remembrance the former days in which after you were enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. He's saying to them, not that in theory, 
it's possible that, that you may suffer. This isn't theory. He's saying to them, you have already suffered for the faith. They have suffered two things according to uh, this text. He says, uh, you were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and you have become partakers with them that were so used. You had compassion on them that were in bonds, and you took joyfully the spoiling of your possessions, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession. You've suffered. You had compassion on those that were suffering. You have been in prison. You had compassion on those who were in prison. You have suffered the loss of your financial resources. These were things that had already happened to them. And the reality is they were becoming discouraged. And there was a real danger they were going to fall away from the faith. And so the entirety of the epistle is written to encourage them to hang on. Not to let go of their faith and not to lose hope in Christ. So in chapter 3, for example, in verse 12, he, he said to them, Take heed, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil heart and unbelief in falling away from the living God. That's the danger. That, that you're going to fall away from the Lord. It's a question of, in verse 14, if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence firm unto the end, we must do that. In chapter 4, in verse 1, he said, Let us fear, therefore, lest haply a promise being left of entering into his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. That's the danger. After all of this, the danger is that you could fall short, you could come short of what you've worked for. And verse 11 of chapter 4, Let us therefore give diligence to enter into rest, that no man fall after the same example of disobedience. That's the danger that they're going to fall. In chapter 5 and verse 11, he, he warns them, You've become dull of hearing. And in chapter 6, Verses 10 through 12, he reminds them uh, uh, that they need to show the same diligence unto the end. In, Matthew, uh, in chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, Be careful lest there be any man that falls short of the grace of God. I'm saying to you from beginning to end, this epistle is full of warnings. And the warning is, in spite of everything that's happening to you, the warning is, don't let go. Don't lose hope. Don't abandon your faith in Christ. God intends for us to maintain our faith, and He intends for us to help each other maintain our faith. And so He says in verse 19, we can draw near unto God with confidence and boldness in such a time as this. It's difficult to be bold and confident when it seems like the world is falling apart around you. It's difficult to be bold and confident when you are hurting and suffering, when it's dark and you really don't see where this life is going. You don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring to you. It's, it's difficult sometimes to maintain that confidence. 
We're reminded in 1 John chapter 2, when John was encouraging the, uh, the Christians to walk in the light and to abandon sin and to serve righteousness and to confess their sins and to pray uh, to God for the forgiveness of their sins, John reminds those Christians, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ our Lord. I, w- I want to tell you something that we can encourage one another in as we live this life. We have an advocate with the Father. An advocate. The one who pleads our case. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, there is one God and one mediator also between God and man himself, man, Christ Jesus. Who, Who is it that's making our case before God? Who's going to represent us in heaven? Jesus Christ himself. And Paul is reminding us, as he writes to Timothy, that Jesus himself is our mediator. And and the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that because Christ is our high priest, we can approach the throne of God with boldness and with confidence, knowing who is pleading our case before God. We are not to lose hope. Why is that? Because he said in verse 23 of Hebrews 10, because he is faithful who promised. Do you remember in Numbers 23 and verse 19, Balaam reminded us that this God of Israel is a God who is good for his word. He is a God who keeps his promises. The psalmist reminded us of the same thing in Psalm 119 and verse 90. And the reminder for us is, even on the dark days, even when life is difficult, even when we're hurting and suffering, Don't lose hope. Don't let go. God is good for His word. What God said, He meant. The promise that He made, He will keep. And our privilege is to help one another remember that. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, to love and to good works. Encourage each other. I want you to know in the minds of the New Testament writers, it it makes a difference who you do life with. And and by that I mean, uh, according to the biblical writers, it makes a difference It makes a difference who your companions are in this life. Who are your friends? Who are your confidants? Who are the people that you are sharing life with? It makes a difference. Don't kid yourself, the Apostle Paul would say to those in Corinth. Evil companions will corrupt good morals. If you are making as your inner circle, if you're making as your inner circle individuals who do not know God, who do not honor God, who do not respect God, don't think for one moment that's not going to affect you. It is. In Proverbs 13 and verse 20, we're reminded that wise men walk with the wise. And the man who is walking with fools is going to come to his own destruction. 
Iron sharpens iron. And, and so over and over in the book of Proverbs, the preacher reminds us of the value of having the right kinds of friends and associates, those who are our confidants in life. We are created for good works, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, we ought to be encouraging one another to live in this and to walk in this. Christianity is a team sport, we would say. And by that, we we mean that Christianity was designed in such a way that God understood that as long as we are living in this life, we're going to have need of one another. And so the Apostle Paul said to those in Corinth who were in this competitive uh, spirit with one another as it pertained to spiritual gifts, the Apostle Paul said, you need to get your focus off of yourself because there's no Superman on God's team. And you need to understand that we're all in this together and that every member of the body has his or her own rightful place. And one member of the body cannot say to another member of the body, you're not important or you're not as important as I am. The Apostle Paul is saying every member of the body is important. Every member of the body has its place and every member of the body is connected. And so that particular theme in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12 is consistent as we are reminded that God intended for each part of the body, each person to contribute to the others. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, this is about one another, each one seeking his brother's good. 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, as each one has received a gift, use it, Peter said, use it to serve one another. Did God give you something special? That's wonderful, but it's not just to make you the star on the stage. If God gave you something special, it was for you to use for the benefit of the body, to benefit others. This is a together, together endeavor that we're involved in. And so we're reminded that as we're doing life together, there's some decisions in life that are heavy, they're serious, they are important. And we need to take good counsel and advice. Proverbs 15 and verse 22 reminds us that without good counsel, we are subject to make poor decisions. Without good advice, we are subject to destroy ourselves. And so we are reminded that don't, don't go through life in this isolationist mentality as if you're the smartest person in the world and nobody else has anything to say that would be of any help or, or value to you. That's the wrong attitude. To the contrary, there's something to be said for those who are focused on Christ. There's something to be said for listening to the thoughts and the advice of those who are committed to God. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Chapter 12 and verse 15, or or chapter 14 and verse 12. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end of that way is the way of death or, or destruction. 
don't become so sure of yourself that you think you've arrived at a point of maturity or sophistication uh, at which you no longer need the company, the companionship, the togetherness of others who are making the journey with you, who are walking the walk, who are living the kingdom life with you. To the contrary, God said, we, we all need that. There's some burdens in life that are too heavy to bear alone. I, I'll tell you something that you've already noticed in life. Everybody gets to bear some burdens, but we don't all get the same thing. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that in life, there really is nobody who lives in this bubble, insulated from any problems in the world? Because life under the sun is not like that. Life in a sin-cursed world is not like that. Everybody has troubles and problems and sufferings in this life. But we don't all have the same things to deal with. Some people begin life in some very difficult ways. I don't know how your life began in the early years of your life. Mine began in a very blessed way. With my mother and my father married to each other in the same home, in the same family. God-fearing people who taught me about God. I grew up in the context of uh, my extended family, my grandmother was 30 seconds from my front door, depending on how fast I could run to her house from my house. My paternal grandmother, unfortunately, was far away. It took 20 minutes to get to her house. For a long time, I didn't know that not everybody grew up that way. Not everybody starts life the same way. Some people begin life with some really heavy stuff. I'll tell you what happens along the way. Sometimes life changes. And it changes rapidly and it changes drastically. And sometimes... When the sun has been shining day after day after today, you you wake up one morning and it's dark and dreary and the storm is coming in. And something happens. And life is never the same again. And you, you don't get to choose those kinds of things. There there are things in life that we bear that are trivial. In what sense? In the sense that they are temporal, in the sense that they are more frustrations in life than they are problems. And I would tell you, for the most part, folks, you don't have to look around this world very long before you begin to realize that most of the stuff we deal with in our lives are frustrations and annoyances. 
But there are some who are carrying some real problems in life. When Jesus arrived toward the end of his ministry, he arrived at a point where he understood his time had come. He was about to accomplish the very purpose for which he came. He was about to offer his physical life in our place as he would die for the sins of the world. When he went into the garden to pray that night, knowing that his death was imminent, he fell on his face and prayed earnestly to his Father that if there was any possible way, let this pass. And on that night, Jesus wanted his closest companions to be with him. They couldn't change anything. They could not alter the circumstance. They could not change the plan of God. They could not make the suffering of the cross one bit more palatable, but they could be there. And he wanted them there. In Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter, verses 9 through 12, the preacher reminds us that we are stronger together than we are alone. And, and so the, the two-fold cord is strong and the three-fold cord is not easily broken. There's something to be said for the strength of standing together, of being together, of living together. And so the Apostle Paul would remind those early Christians to bear ye one another's burdens and in so doing fulfill the law of Christ. It's not true that, it's not only true that some burdens are too heavy to bear alone, there's some temptations that are too strong to face along. You understand that we are up against the powers of darkness, we are up against Satan himself, we are working against the very spiritual entity that took on God and lost. And now he's taking out his vengeance and wrath on us. This is no small thing. And we need one another as we are clothing ourselves with the armor of God and dealing with the fiery darts and the wiles of the devil. We need one another. In James 5 and verse 16, we need the prayers of one another and the help and the encouragement of one another as we are dealing with this. There's some temptations in life in which we desperately need our brethren to help us endure. There's some prayers that are too difficult to pray alone. And so Jesus, when he went to the garden that night, he wasn't going to pray to God because he had messed up, because he had wrecked his life, because he had become a disappointment to God. and to ma- That's not what he was brokenhearted about. He was brokenhearted about the reality of life and the suffering that was coming, the sins of the world that he was about to take upon himself and the physical death that he would endure. And he took the apostles with him to the garden when he went there to pray. And he took Peter, James, and John further with him as he went there to pray. And I'm telling you, there is nothing that bonds our souls together anymore than praying together 
with one another as we are bearing heavy burdens in life. I am, I am more and more impressed with Jonathan's insight into life and spirituality when he understood as David was fleeing from Saul and he was hiding in the woods and David already had been anointed. David already was going to become the next king. David already understood that the, 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 the next king is not open for discussion. God's already chosen. David is the man. But right now, David's in trouble. David is hurting. David's running for his life. David is discouraged. And Jonathan went and found him. And the text said, when he found him, he strengthened his hand in God. And I'll tell you, sometimes... We need a brother or a sister to be there. Not because they can take away the problem, and not because they can make everything better, and not because they can even lessen our pain one bit. We need them to be there to strengthen our hand in God. That's why we need them there. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying to those early Christians. We need each other, folks. We need each other. Consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. And for that reason, It matters. It matters if we're not here. In just a moment, we're going to eat the supper of the Lord together. And in that supper, we're going to declare personally and individually, as I eat the bread and drink the cup, I will be declaring, I am one with Christ. It is a declaration of my unity with the body and the blood of the Lord. But that's not all. It is also a declaration that I am one with you. Because you are eating the same bread and you are drinking the same cup. And we are sharers together of the same body and the same blood of Jesus Christ. If I am one with Christ and you are one with Christ, then we are one with each other. And we declare it every first day of the week. When we eat the supper together. This being together, this this assembling together, this this coming together on the first day of the week. It's not just about attendance. It's about relationship. We're doing life together. And we need each other. Along the way. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, we invite you to come and share in the riches of the goodness of God that have been expressed in His family. If you have never confessed your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and put on the Lord in baptism, you can do that this morning. And if you're a child of God, and for whatever reason you're not together, 
with the Lord or with His people anymore, why don't you come back? While we stand and sing, we invite you to come.